0: Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. Welcome to CBS Audio's Eye
1: on Veterans. I'm your host, Phil Briggs. I'm a Navy veteran, and every week I get a chance to look at the issues of the day through the eyes of my fellow military vets. My goal every week is simple, bring you something informative ...and something that will inspire the hell out of you. This is the news and stories about the veteran lifestyle. This is Eye on Veterans. This hour, we're going to hear about the thrilling new novel, American Trader, ...and how the former Delta Force Commando-turned-best-selling author... ...weaves some frightening truth into fiction.
2: Well, the MSS, the Ministry of State Security, is three times the size of the KGB. It's the largest intelligence organization in the world. Nobody's ever even heard of them. And at first, it's always, I mean, something simple. All we want is the parking lot diagram for this university facility. This guy gets elected to parliament. He's a, a Chinese descendant. I mean, he's, he's an Australian citizen, but he's of Chinese descent. And then he finally tells their version of uh, MI6 or CIA in Australia, hey, uh, China, fronted this for me and I'm really worried because they're putting all kinds of pressure on me. What do I do? What do I do? Well, they found him dead in a hotel room three days later. And that's a true story. I didn't make that up. And so I put it in the book. The thing about China is that they're insidious. They do it below the radar. They're not trying to sell the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, to us. TikTok itself, you know, that was a big fight. TikTok's owned by um, the Chinese. It's a huge social media application, but everything that's in TikTok is going to the Chinese Communist Party.
1: A few years ago, I discovered the Pike Logan series of novels by Army veteran Brad Taylor, and I was instantly hooked. The main character, Pike Logan, is a Jason Bourne slash Mission Impossible type guy. He's a security contractor, elite task force team member who runs Black Ops around the world, and along the way has survived attacks, bullets, bombs, explosions, firefights, assassination attempts, killed hundreds of bad guys, fallen in love, and at the start of this one, even has gotten married and started an unusual version of a family. American Traitor is a frightening and accurate portrayal of Americans who, by stealing artificial intelligence computer secrets, may start an all-out war between China and Taiwan, which the U.S. would be dragged into, and it would have deadly consequences for the entire world. But before we open with the book, I'd like to start with a little bit about the author, Brad Taylor.
2: Well, basically, I, I you know served 22 years in the United States Army, and um, then my last assignment was here teaching at the Citadel, and I wrote a book just to because I wanted to write a book, it was a bucket list thing, and I came out of the promotion list for Colonel, and the book sold, and my daughter's during high school, and my next assignment was two years on a company in Southwest Asia, and I had to make a decision, and I decided to turn down the promotion and see if I could give writing a try.
1: And uh, luckily for you, that seemed to have turned out. You're on your fifteenth novel now, and uh, you've been a New York Times bestseller multiple times. Um, just wanted to ask real quick, tell me a little bit more about the First Special Forces Operational Detachment Delta. That is, of course, that kind of elite team. I've heard it called hostage rescue before. I've heard it called a bunch of different things. Explain to me a little bit about what they do.
2: Uh, well, it's basically a unit. It's a it's a, a special mission unit, national mission force. Uh, it's it's not, people usually get confused about that because I'm a special forces officer, which is a branch of the military, like infantry or engineers or armor. I'm a special forces officer, but the, the unit is, is an actual unit. It's not a military operational specialty
1: yeah and like some of the characters in your book, these are the guys that can get called to do something anywhere in the world and have to be dispatched deployed and be on station within like you know a few hours, right? I mean, these are the guys this is like uh, the military's 911.
2: Well yeah yeah. and I'm, I'm, you know I really can't talk a whole lot about it because it's classified, but yeah
1: and true to form just like our last interview. <laughs> That's exactly what you say. I love it. I always think I'm going to get something out of you, but no, you and Pike Logan, the character in your books, are very similar in that. Hard to pry a word out. Fun fact. Taylor's bio has a cool part where he describes both his experience and explains how he's able to write about the frightening world of task force counterterrorism with such vivid accuracy. There's a line in it where he describes a sign that hung over a bar in a unit he once belonged to. People sleep peacefully in their beds at night only because rough men stand ready to visit violence on those who would do them harm. It's a quote from George Orwell, and Taylor goes on to say, It's a simple sentence. It evoked the ethos of who we were. I should say are. And Pike Logan, the hero of my books, believes in the quote as well, but he's simply imitating what I have seen in real life. Pike Logan is a fictional character, but he is real. He exists in greater numbers than the public is aware of. Not as many as we need, but probably more than people would believe. American Trader, let's dive into this, because this thing is all over the globe. It's about, like, Chinese espionage. It deals with artificial intelligence. Um, give me the 30,000-foot view.
2: Yeah, it's actually—the it's, book's kind of been a slow burn for mine. So I wrote Operator Down three books ago, three years ago. And I was in Lesotho, Africa, doing research. That was about a coup. And so I had to go see the parliament buildings and the, you know, the police station, that kind of stuff. And they had uh, uh, all these brand-new government buildings being put up. And outside of it was a, you know, a fence line that had uh, Chinese lettering on it. And I, you know, I assume it said something like, wear a hard hat beyond this post or whatever. And I asked the guy I was with. I was like, what in the world? Why is there Chinese lettering here in the middle of Lesotho, this small country in Africa? And he said, oh, they're building this stuff for us for free. I said, why? And he said, well, they just want to be friendly. And I was like, I don't think they're being friendly here. What's, what is this about? It had nothing to do with the book, Operator Down. So you know, didn't enter into that. But it was my 1st inroad, first real-world contact to the Chinese Belt and Road Initiative, which they're doing all over the world. It's basically a loan chart program where they build something, if you can't pay it back, and they just take it over, take over ports, take over this, take over that. And then China started building up Um, over and over again. Um, They are doing the Spratly Islands or building up the platforms for war in the South China Sea. Uh, Hong Kong bubbled up. Uh, All these things were happening, and so I decided to write about it.
1: What I like is I didn't know whether the book was going to be about parenting at the beginning or if it was going to be, you know, one of these global thrillers. And, uh, (laughs) you know, of course, you always write about global thrilling. But uh, Pike Logan starts off at the beginning of the book and, you know, he's got this daughter that he kind of adopted. And I won't get into the long story there, but it's left over from the last book. And uh, he's sending her off to boarding school and he and Jennifer Cahill, his confidant and, and, and really his, I guess, muse almost. She's like a special warfare warrior wife and they're putting up the front of being a happy family, and they're going to go on this Australian vacation, and that's where things go awry, and then their friend, whom they were going to stay with and do some diving, he shows up to his apartment, and then all of a sudden, Chinese people out of nowhere, these agents, and there's a fight, there's killing. It just starts off Special Forces, you know, almost Jason (laughs) Bourne-esque, and then they're in the middle of a drama, and they just basically went to go on damn vacation.
2: Yeah, the whole thing, I mean, when you write a series, which, you know, my books are a series... The good thing about that is you have a a, you know a baseline what you know you're going to write about. But the bad thing is once you write something, it exists. So if I say somebody's got blue eyes, he's got blue eyes forever. If I say somebody's five feet tall, they're five feet tall forever. Well, I wrote Daughter of War, and uh, Amina is the focal point of Daughter of War, and um, I should have killed her at the end of it, but I liked her too much. So now she exists in the Pike Logan universe, and I got to figure out what am I going to do with her. I've got to, you know, she's going to be there. New reader doesn't really understand unless they read Daughter of War. They don't understand what's going on. But the old reader is going to say, what happened to Amina? So it's kind of hard to make sure all that stuff fits (laughs) in the puzzle.
1: I loved how from the minute they hit Australia, they're involved in this massive chase thing. And right now I'm as far in as they're looking for the Chinese agents that are trying to kill his buddy. Because his buddy has laid witness to somebody, an American trader, that is stealing data and giving it to the Chinese. And what you write about in such great detail that I want to know more about how you learned about this is China's, well, I mean, you mentioned it just a second ago, China's Belt Road Initiative in Africa, China's, uh, you know, their fingers into everything on the planet. They are a very smart enemy.
2: If you look at, uh, I mean, just look at Hollywood for the past, you know, 30 years, everybody knows the KGB. I mean, when you say KGB, somebody knows what that is. Oh, that's the bad guys from Russia. They're killing people with uh, Novichok nerve agent or plutonium or something like that. Well, the MSS, the Ministry of State Security, is three times the size of the KGB. It's the largest intelligence organization in the world. Nobody's ever even heard of them, but they are everywhere.
1: And we'll hear more from the thrilling novel American Trader and former Special Forces author Brad Taylor when CBS Eye on Veterans returns. Welcome back to CBS Eye on Veterans. I'm Navy veteran Phil Briggs. Now today we're talking about the action-adventure novel American Trader by former Army Special Forces officer and best-selling author Brad Taylor. American Trader is centered around Australia and Taiwan and how artificial intelligence secrets are being stolen, given to the Chinese, and it could start a global war. Our conversation was also centered on China and how the threats in this book reveal the threats that actually exist in
2: real life. You know, I always like to infuse uh, real world in the books themselves. And there's a story that's in the book that um, this guy gets elected to parliament. He's a a Chinese descendant. I mean, he's he's an Australian citizen, but he's of Chinese descent. And he gets elected to parliament. He's a used car salesman. And when he gets elected, he wins. And then he finally tells their version of... um, MI6 or CIA in Australia, hey, uh, China fronted this for me, and I'm really worried because they're putting all kinds of pressure on me. What do I do? What do I do? Well, they found him dead in a hotel room three days later. The cause a death unknown. And that's a true story. I didn't make that up. That really happened. And so I put it in the book.
1: Yeah. And that's what I find so fascinating because, again, you know, again, with your experience, I can't tell what is fiction and what is actually being taken from real life. But I know you fly around to all these places. So you were in Australia to do research for this book. Yeah,
2: I was. Yeah, definitely. And actually, the very the book opens up there. The F-35 is our joint strike fighter, which is, um, you know, the next generation strike fighter. It's built all over the world and they have a big production facility in Australia and they also have a big production facility in Japan. And um, that thing that opens in the book is a 35 crashing into the Sea of Japan. That's a true story. The actual conversations that are in that book are the actual transcripts from the pilot to the tower before he flew his plane 600 knots an hour straight into the ocean. Now, literary licenses, I say, okay, I'm going to tell you why this plane crashed. To this day, we don't know why that plane crashed, but it did crash. And now, in my book, I tell you why. Mm
1: and of course not to give it all away but the chinese had involvement in that they were exactly in in the book they were changing the dynamics of the artificial intelligence that communicated between the headset and the plane Uh, my question to you is is have you have you stumbled upon things in research that just scared the hell out of you as far as china's influence and their ability to do things because i noticed one of these uh characters started at an american university and then was recruited by China to start giving up information. I mean, does that, how often does that go on in the real world? Is that something we should be scared?
2: I mean, um, Eric Swalwell, the congressman, he's a prime example of that. He had somebody who was helping him out, you know, just some person of Chinese descent. The next thing you know, she's working for the MSS. She's over here in America going to city council people, and they're playing a long game. You know, it's like, I'm going to find this guy who's going to be a mayor. Sooner or later, he might be in Congress, and then I'll have my hooks in him. I mean, they do it everywhere. They have uh, the, the Confucian Cultural Centers or at every major university, you know, Harvard or University of Texas, you name it. And um, because, you know, the universities have to make money, China says, hey, we're going to build this cultural center. We're going to give you a ton of money. Okay, we'll take it. Well, next thing you know, those guys are stealing stuff. They just had a guy who got arrested flying home from Harvard, going back to China, and he had a bunch of biomedical data. There's a New York police officer who was just arrested uh, last month. Um, his job was to keep... Tabs on Tibetan refugees and report that back to China. So it it does happen.
1: Wow. And, you know, I think about your experience too. You know, you've you know, you've been SF, you've been a guy that, you know, handles the hardware and, you know, the tip of the sword type of warfare. But I mean, what do we do about this when it's happening on an intellectual level? I mean, these are people that are stealing scientific research or or enrolling people in our universities that have access to all this research and all this data and then somehow sneaking it home. I mean, you can't fight that with, you know, a 50 cal.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, that's, you know, that's basically, there goes my dog, sorry. <laughs> that's basically been going on, you know, since time immemorial. It's espionage, it's just happened. Uh, China has a much greater inroad into it because of the diaspora that they have in America. Uh, they leverage that, unlike the KGB or the CIA, where we go recruit a single individual, not based on, heritage or race or anything like that, they will definitely recruit based solely on, hey, you've got some, you know, grandparents over here in China, and if you want them to stay alive, you know, they won't be that bold about it, but, you know, hey, we're going to help these guys out if you help us out. And at first, it's always, I mean, something simple. All we want is the parking lot diagram for this university facility, and then it goes from there until mm. it's, give me what's on the hard drive.
1: Wow. Wow. And and, and it's a vein that runs through every single one of pike logan's books you can read something that is just so connected to real world spooky crap in all of your books which is what makes them a thrill to read uh let's talk about another little facet about this book that i found interesting Uh, there's one part of it where they're talking about deep fakes and uh the chinese government wants this other individual to make videos that are fake and they want them to make that based on real speeches so they in, in they they basically digitally want to put words in somebody's mouth take a video of somebody giving a speech only change the words they say and make it look legit so that this person is saying something blasphemous and of course here they're doing it to you know so uh, political unrest within taiwan um share with me like your research what did you learn about deep fakes like how often does this go on and in fact when I'm watching the news, am I really legit watching what is right. real?
2: That's what's the problem with it. it nowadays is, you know, there used to be a saying of, you're going to believe me or your are lying eyes. Well, you would always believe what your eyes told you. But now, you, you don't know if it's actually real. In fact, it's a double-edged coin. There's a um, thing known as the uh, liar's dividend where you can do a deep fake video where somebody's in the, you know back room, some politician saying, I'll give you a ton of money to do this, that, and the other thing. And the guy says, that's not me, that's not me, I don't know what happened. But once that thing gets out, it travels around the world, and it's, you you cannot defeat it uh, unless you can convince somebody that that's really not you. Well, the liar's dividend is just the opposite. So somebody really is in a back room saying, I'm going to sell all this stuff, and then he comes out and says, that's a deep fake video, that wasn't me. So now you don't know what to believe.
1: When you watched our crazy, crazy political season that we just finished, um did you ever watch TV and think, oh man, they're doing it? That's exactly a deep fake.
2: Well, yeah. It actually in the election season happened. I mean, there's, I mean, in the book, the deep fake is an is a actual somebody talking, saying something specifically that they did not say. Um, but, I mean, there's levels of scale here. So you can have a, a video where somebody subtly alters a video to make it look like somebody's drunk. Oh, what, is she drunken all the time? No, they altered the video. Uh, and that's happened multiple times during this election cycle. Wow.
1: And again, when you were researching the deep fakes, how is it that they do this to the layman? How do I, like, like what is it exactly they're doing? They're they're taking a video and making it look like a person can say something that they did not say?
2: Yeah, actually, it, uh, believe it or not, it started out in the porn industry. Porn industry pretty much does everything for money. So, And the original deep fakes were, uh, you know, you want to see Scarlett Johansson having sex with somebody, they put a crude face on there, and, and you see it. Uh, I mean, you know, when you do a uh, pay-per-view thing, when you want to see a boxing match, the porn industry invented that because they wanted to make money. So they invented the deepfakes to make money. And since then, if you get a state system that's got enormous resources behind it, you can make... Well, there's online tools right now. You can go online and... Uh, there are things, I mean, a, a super crude deep fake would be the elf thing where you're dancing around you put your face on your elf. You know yeah. what I'm talking about for oh, Christmas?
1: Yeah, like the jib jabs or like the videos exactly. you, we can send each other on Facebook. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, multiply that by 6,000, you know, times of power, and you can actually have me saying something that I never said. Wow.
1: Based on your research, again, with a book like this, where you have just gone all over the world and seen how China has effectively done this in Australia. um, Do you think we're well on our way to China being able to uh, make democracy impotent because it is infecting the minds of Americans?
2: No, I don't. I think that um, the thing about China is that they're insidious. They do it below the radar. They're not trying to sell the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, to us. They're trying to sell that they're a good person. They're a good thing. This is China itself is a good organization. They're not trying to sway us. Russia is the experts at doing that. Now, Russia is sowing discord everywhere we go inside our own political systems because that's what they want to do. China is not necessarily wanting to do that. They, they basically want to win, and they are much more insidious. They don't need to uh, turn our political system into socialism. They just need to convince everybody in America that they're good people and, you know, let them do what they want to
1: do. One of the other technical things I thought was cool was the communication between the Snow Leopard and his Chinese handlers uh, took place on this thing called Telegram uh yeah is telegram something that was around when you were Delta the force or is that like a new technology and explain to me what it, it is it's, it's fairly strange. new it's
2: not it's it's just an application that's uh indian encrypted and it's actually russian believe it or not but it's indian encrypted and originally was used by uh, uh dissidents in communist countries so they could talk to each other uh without the uh, authorities listening to them and since then it turned into it works just so well dissidents as well for distances as for terrorists and terrorists all use it as a matter of fact um, the capital Riders. that just happened January 6th, they were all talking on Telegram. Uh, it's an application that allows end-to-end in- encryption and you can, it's channels and you can do things, you can plan stuff and nobody, it's basically unbreakable encryption.
1: Wow. Yeah. Cause I remember specifically the guy had to call in and when he called the number or something, there was a, there was like emojis he had to read off. Yeah. He was like, smiley face, monkey pile of poop. Right.
2: Um, and so if you get, you'll get four emojis on your phone. And when you call in on Telegram, if you're talking to somebody on Telegram and the four emojis on your phone will be the same as their phone. So if they say they have these four emojis, then, you know, you're secure.
1: So amidst all this unrest, amidst all this talk of Chinese espionage, not only in the book, but in the real world, is this real technology called Telegram that that's again, you're not making me feel very safe, Brad. You're,
2: I, mean, I, it's a, I mean, there's plenty of technology like, well, like the Roomba, I have, you know, uh, uh, Roomba Uh, robot that vacuums your house. I actually have one. And it, you know, the first time it vacuums your house, it takes eight hours to bump into everything in your house. But the 30th time it vacuums your house, the machine learning and that thing, the artificial intelligence has learned where your furniture is and it'll do it much quicker. Well, it uploads that whole floor plan up to the cloud. And um, now that's a floor plan. I mean, if I want to rob a house, I get that guy's floor plan from his Roomba because it's in the cloud and now if I want to hit it, I'm like, okay, I don't want to go to the kitchen. See where the kitchen is. He's labeled it. See where the bedroom is. He's labeled it. You know, and then I run right into the house. And so when I, you know, the Roomba, my own Roomba was saying, hey, we want to store this in the cloud. I was like, uh-uh, that ain't happening. And then I use it in the book.
1: <laughs> oh, man. And if you listen long enough, you'll be thrilled. But, uh, you know, as I'll say time and time again during this whole interview, uh, it, it'll scare the bejesus out of you because this f- exists. Crazy stuff. Okay, so it gets more complex than just Duncan, uh, his computer hacker buddy, and Pike Logan, the hero, and his girlfriend.
2: Well, it's because, I mean, China, the president of China, who's now basically a dictator for life, has specifically said, I'm not passing the Taiwan question to the next generation. We're going to solve this problem. And even to this day, I mean, literally every single day they're flying incursions into Taiwanese airspace. Uh, we do what we call FONOPS, freedom of navigation exercises, where we go through the Taiwan Straits. And they're looking for a way to take over Taiwan, basically. Uh, and they know they can't do it with a cold-start invasion because um, we'll defend Taiwan, and that'll you know they can't beat us militarily. The Chinese cannot do that. Uh, or at least it'll be an enormous cost to them. So they're looking for a way to do it. And that's what kind of the premise of the whole book was. If I can get Taiwan to attack me first, then it's self-defense on my part. I'm allowed to do self-defense. And so that's what they're trying to do.
1: And with that came the greater picture that I have to explain to people sometimes, and I'm still not even sure I get it right. What is their interest in controlling all these waterways to extend their reach and their influence, to extend their sovereign territories? What, why does China care so much about having...
2: A, well, 90% bi- of the shipping in the, in the world goes through the South China Sea i mean if they own that if they take over taiwan then it's just a short hop skip and a jump they're already contesting all these islands that uh indonesia has that vietnam has and saying no these are chinese islands uh they want basically hegemony that's what they want i mean that's what they're trying to get
1: but if they already get all of our business i.e everything that's made at walmart i mean the pair of damn shoes i just bought broke my heart when i looked and i saw the box and i turned it over and it said made in china um if they already control us on like a kind of financial economic level, what is it with the sea lanes that they want so badly?
2: Well, it's not so much I already have enough. I mean, look at Jeff Bezos. When when was it enough for him? Hmm. When he had $30 billion, or was it $10 billion? I mean, that's just the way competition works. And they're trying to uh, assert themselves as the next premier superpower. I mean, you know, in the Cold War, it was two superpowers. is us and... Uh, Soviet Union, Soviet Union fell away. And it was just us for a few years. And now China is saying, I'm going to be the economic powerhouse. I'm going to roll all this stuff. I'm going to tell you how to do business. I mean, it's just the way of the world.
1: One last thing I want to ask before we ring off. And, uh, you know, this kind of segues from the book here, American Trader, into, again, your look at the global reality we live in. And uh, we talked about how in this book, you um, There are players in Taiwan that are being forced to or compensated by the Chinese government to sow political unrest in Taiwan so that they make the Taiwanese people believe that their leaders are actually sympathetic to China. Therefore, they hate those leaders. Therefore, those leaders lose power. I mean, this is all these dynamics going on in this book, but I'll be damned if that's not going on in our world. Talk to me about um, social media and who is the greater violator right now of sowing discord in our country
2: uh, I, I think it would definitely be russia the um the chinese are they'll so dis- they're, they're not looking to sow discord they're looking to sway opinion they're much more insidious so whereas the chinese will start a confucius cultural center or whatever and say this is you know china's great china's great china's great and i want to and i like china because of what they're doing this is a nice thing russia on the other hand just does if i can get these two sides to fight each other that's good with me how do we get these two sides to fight each other Tell they're going to take your guns. No, no. Tell them they're going to give them a vaccine by Bill Gates. I mean, that's what they do. Uh, China is more, um, much more insidious, uh, but they are definitely everywhere. They, um, I mean, in Australia, the port of Darwin is owned by China. And when it happened, their parliament was like, "How the hell did that happen? Who sold this port to China?" So they, they do it under the radar.
1: Where in America do you see our vulnerability to China then? Because I had heard this, and <laughs> I don't expect you to know all things, but they are buying and owning wind farms in our country. So as when we switch to a bigger push to go to alternative fuels and alternative methods of making electricity and, you know, you know supporting ourselves, that they'll own the stakes of that game. Is that true?
2: Yeah. I, well, I, I can't speak specifically to wind farms, but I'll tell you that, that every corporation in China by their constitution, has to help the China Communist Party, every single corporation. So in the United States, we have capitalism where everybody's fighting each other. So Google's trying to do something. I'm building Google Glass, and Amazon says, I'm going to compete against Google Glass, and I've got Alexa, and you've got this or that, whatever. They don't have to help the United States of America. In fact, one thing that's kind of annoying is we had um, uh, Project Maven, which is an artificial intelligence thing done by the Department of Defense. We just basically wanted not research Artificial intelligence. Uh, and most people are like, you know, they don't understand. People really don't understand how the Department of Defense has, has helped their everyday life. Your, your microwave in your house exists because we researched, Department of Defense researched uh, microwave weapons. Uh, the Internet, you're sending, you know, your email on, was invented by the Department of Defense. Uh, the, the entire computer industry was invented by the Department of Defense. And so they want to do some artificial intelligence stuff, and, and then the next thing you know, all the... Um, employees at Google were like, oh, I'm not going to, I'm not working to help somebody kill somebody, which wasn't the whole point of the thing, but they'll do it in China. I mean, they'll go over and work in China all day long, and everybody in China is doing artificial intelligence while they're trying to do it to make a buck. Everything they make has to go to the Chinese Communist Party, Uh, and so we're kind of an unfair advantage on that.
1: Yeah, we're so busy trying to profit off of our widgets and wheels, and we find the government invasive and over there they're like, uh, we're going to put this to use both commercially for the pleasure of the people in the shopping malls and everything, but also for the nefarious reasons that the government wants. To well,
2: answer. yeah, the five G, uh, you know, five G that's going out Huawei. Um, that whole thing, is just riddled with You know, people were making fun of the Trump administration for not wanting Huawei to do the five G thing. Well, there's a good reason for that. TikTok itself, you know, that was a big fight. TikTok's owned by, um, the Chinese. It's a huge social media application, but everything that's in TikTok is going to the Chinese Communist Party. In fact, DJI drones, uh, the commercial drones, you see people flying around everywhere. DJI is the number one drone manufacturer, and it's from China. And everything you fly over when you are doing your camera, mapping stuff, that's going to China. I mean, they're basically mapping the United States because they sell you a drone. Now, the company wants to make money, so sure. I'm going to sell all these drones. I'm going to make a better drone, better mousetrap, that kind of thing. But every bit of information that's coming out of that drone is going to the Chinese Communist Party.
1: Welcome back to CBS Eye on Veterans. I'm Navy veteran Phil Briggs. And we're still discussing the action novel American Trader. The epic series starring Pike Logan, our special forces task member Jason Bourne-like guy who travels the world running black ops and saving the world in the process. Now, as this book is based on Chinese espionage and trying to spark a war with Taiwan, they discuss in it using social media to create unrest in a country and basically topple it. And I couldn't help but think, that sounds awfully familiar. So I had to ask the book's author about it, former Special Forces himself, Brad Taylor. Um, Were you surprised by January
2: 6th? Uh, Actually, I wasn't, to be honest with you. I mean, you know, Trump had been saying that for, I had arguments with my family and everything. He'd been saying it for six months. I mean, when you send a tweet out saying, come on up here and protest, it's going to be wild. That's the president of the United States saying that. And what do you think was going to (sighs) happen?
1: But the amount of people that are believing in things like QAnon, the amount of military veterans that are joining local militias and and now kind of translating some of their military combat abilities into,
2: uh, you know, some... I think that's a little bit overstated. Every time I see, uh, and I, you know, I stay up on current events, and every time I see a military veteran, I'm like, oh, really? What was this guy? Special Forces Commando? No, he was an Air Force, you know, butt-wiping tech at the medical center. (laughs) What, what... uh, Military skills is he bring to the table? None.
1: Yeah, I mean just because you've been in theater we can both appreciate yeah, I've known plenty of people that were definitely were not the steely eyed killers that you have to kinda worry about. I mean there was a
2: couple of Navy SEALs that got arrested and I was like, Okay, that guy's I mean, he can definitely do some damage. But most of the people, the lady that was shot in the neck and died, she was an Air Force, you know, tech airman. What military skills is she bring to the table? None.
1: But does it concern you that or did it surprise you that there were that many people that would show up and want to just go in and break? I mean, I'm not going to call it an insurrection because I don't think it was a personally just thought it was like a riot, like a like a drunken concert crowd gone bad. But does it concern you that we saw that level, that it escalate to the point where people are, you know, breaking down doors?
2: Uh, It um, obviously definitely concerned me. I mean, there's no doubt about it, but. Uh, having you know studied that kind of thing I mean for instance in 1979 you had a huge protests outside the United States embassy in Iran. Inside that protest were selected people who decided to ramp up the violence and take over the embassy. After that fact, I mean there's a lot of people who said I, you know I'm horrified by what happened I was there at the protest and I was trying to stop them Well that same thing happened in Iran. It takes very few instigators to get everybody ramped up to go do something. So, I mean, it did horrify me, but if you look back in history, I mean, in 1968, we had three political assassinations. You had Bobby Kennedy dead, Martin Luther King dead, and they were literally blowing bombs up in cars outside of the Democratic National Convention. I mean, car bombs. So when this happened, that was, you know, it definitely concerns me, but we've been here before. Mm -hmm. I mean, people forget history.
1: Yeah, we do have a horribly short attention span. And, of course, now with everything being so available to us in video format. um,
2: Yeah, that was pretty stupid, wasn't it? (laughs) Hey, look at me. I'm breaking the law. Let me put it on social media.
1: The dude with the horns. Yeah.
2: (laughs) And, you know, every picture of him, he's screaming at something. I'm like, is he howling at the moon? Every single picture, he's howling at something.
1: Another scene from the book that I was so into was like the bar scene when like they're trying to find their buddy Duncan who has gone missing and is on the run from these Chinese agents for a variety of reasons. But again, they need to kill him. And Pike and his girlfriend are just there to go on vacation and go scuba diving with him. So they're now trying to find out where he is because they know bad stuff is happening and Pike, the only guy that can save it. And they track him to like this bar district of Australia and they're looking for... This bar called Fortunes of War, and the fight scene that goes down in this bar is just so raw and graphic. But talk to me about how you ended up in the Bar District of Sydney, Australia, and that bar.
2: Yeah, well, so we were actually uh, you know running around Sydney doing research, and it's near the Opera House. So we were over to Opera House, and we'd done other you know touristy stuff. And the Fortune of War is the oldest pub in Sydney. Well, as soon as I saw that, I'm like, holy moly, I got to put that in the damn book. So we went and sought it out. Well, if you get inside that bar. Um, it's got two levels, and in fact, the top level, which is described in the book, actually goes down to a different bar on the other side. It does kind of a U-turn on the upper deck. And um, I went around, you know, running around the bar area, and they were just going crazy. The Rugby World Series was, or uh, the, um, whatever they call it, the World Cup, I guess. Rugby World Cup was on, and everybody was singing and yelling and screaming. And, and so we went in there and stayed, we probably stayed two hours and you know, came out a little bit half caught. Right. And then the next day he was like, you know, where are we going to get dinner? Hey, let's go back to that fortune of war place. <laughs> and so we did.
1: So cool. Yeah. There's one particular scene where you learn that that, uh, gal, the Chinese agent uses that blade that's attached to her fingernail so effectively. And it's just horrific to imagine what that would be like. If that kind of like carnage, if that kind of murder went down in the middle of a crowded bar, people yeah, pouring out
2: upstairs I mean, was, uh, that, you know, the chip tables and all that I described in there, that's literally what it's like. Because the upstairs part of it is just a really small room where the restrooms are. And um, the uh, there was one bar, I can't remember the name of it, but it, it actually is kind of a famous bar that had, they used to take the sailors, or they somebody get drunk in the bar, and they'd throw them down this pit, and they'd get shanghaied, which is where the term came from, onto a boat, and have to end up working on the boat, which had this tunnel that led out to the ocean. And I couldn't figure out a way to get that one in the book. So, I wish I could have, because it was pretty cool.
1: But that's where the term Shanghai comes from. People got too drunk, they'd throw them in a pit, and then they'd end up taking them as, like, slaves to go slaves, work. Yeah,
2: be, you know, you're going to work on this boat now.
1: Man, to think about the amount of times when I was in the Navy, I was drunk in a bar.
2: Oh, my God. Yeah, well, that's, you know, the the rocks, it's called the rocks, uh, where the Fortunate War is. That's the name of the uh, area there, is because it used to be nothing but rocks when they first started. You know, they had a bunch of convicts that were building that place up. So... It's kind of a rough life.
1: Oh, that is awesome. That is awesome. So you actually travel to every location that's in this book. Did you do any partying in, in Taiwan to get the lay of that? Oh, land? yeah. Because so that... we,
2: Yeah. There's a dumpling place in Taiwan. It's the number one dumpling place in a known universe that uh, actually they have uh, franchises in California here. We haven't... There's none of them. I'm in Charleston. There's nothing like that here. But we ate there, and then we went to Shenlong Night Market and all that area, the MP Tree House, and I went all over that.
1: Because your description there, when you're talking about where the snow leopard is, where this one Taiwanese guy who's trying to.
2: You know, he's based on a real person. That's actually his name is the white wolf. You can Google it. He's a real person who's really trying to overthrow or undermine Taiwanese democracy. He's a mafia guy, just like I described him in the book, and he's working for China.
1: Really? Because man, your descriptions of like going down through that part of the town—was it like Snake Town or Snake uh, Snake
2: Alley? So Snake Alley uh, was—I was kind of disappointed because I did my research beforehand, you know, before you fly over there. And I'm like, I'm going to use Snake Alley. Well, back in the '70s and '80s, Snake Alley was apparently just this great thing where they did cobra dances and you ate cobra meat, and guys were you know fighting snakes all over the place. When I got there, it was it's kind of turned into a decrepit place where it's now just a bunch of seedy massage parlors. But so that's why, you know, I described it in the book that way. Cause when I did the research beforehand, I was like, I can't wait to get to snake alley. When I got there, I was like, ah, this sucks. <laughs>
1: Well, your description of the two women, though, is really funny, too, when, like, a, a, what is his name? Chen is getting ready to make the call to his handler in China. And the women who were a little past their prime wearing... Exactly.
2: Well, that's what was actually there. Wearing I mean, too much makeup. in the and, 70s and 80s, you know, it was, like, the place to go for, you know, horrors and that kind of thing, and now it's just kind of falling apart. <laughs>
1: good stuff, man. Well, I mean, I could talk to you about the world all day long because it seems as though the world is woven into every one of these Pike Logan novels. Again, American trader, Brad Taylor, American treasure, buddy. Thank you so much for writing this one.
2: Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's good talking to you.
1: All right, so that does it for this week's show. Thank you for listening. Now, we'd love to hear from you, so follow us on Twitter at IonVeterans, or you can reach me at Phil Briggs Vet. I'm always down to get your hot takes and spicy memes, and I'd love to talk to you every week, so please like and subscribe. Hell, even give us a review of the show, because the comments and reviews really help us tailor the show to you. Again, I'm Phil Briggs, Navy veteran and reporter with ConnectingVets.com in Washington, D.C. And I look forward to talking to you again on another episode of CBS Audio's Eye on Veterans.